Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to chat with Henry Washington. He is an author, entrepreneur, and a real estate investor with over 65 rental units and dozens of house flips under his belt. He built his rental portfolio in just three and a half years, allowing him to achieve his goal of financial freedom. He's been featured in numerous online and television publications like Fox Business Morning Show, FBN AM, Yahoo Business, Business Insider, NBC, CBS, Course Method, and one of my favorites, Bigger Pockets, where he enjoys showing others the power of real estate investing and financial freedom. Henry, his wife, Jessica, and their two daughters live and invest in Northwest Arkansas. Welcome to the show, Henry. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're so excited to chat today. Real estate is one of my true loves. A lot of longtime listeners of the show know that in one of my other ventures, I myself am a real estate investor. I'm also a real estate broker and also a real estate attorney. So real estate is my gig for sure. But I love, love, love to talk shop with others who have the same passion. How did you get into real estate? What was your start? I started just under four years ago to make a really, really long story short. I got married pretty quick. And prior to being married, I was working a corporate gig. And I was really good at making money in my corporate gig. And I was also very, very good at spending all of that money and more. And when you're single, that's all well and good. You figure out how to get by. But then when you get married, your wife I learned doesn't want to live like that. And so I had to figure out a way to learn how to manage money better and then to learn how to make more money so that I could provide my family with a life that I felt like they deserved. You know, I couldn't afford to buy us a dream home. I couldn't afford to, heck, I, I couldn't really even afford to be in the house that we were living in. I wasn't even allowed to be on the mortgage of the first home that we bought together because my credit was so bad. And so kind of got a wake up call when I got married and uh, literally a wake up call because I had a panic attack at like three in the morning after we were having conversations about like what our future looks like, because <laughs> I realized I couldn't afford to finance that future and had a panic attack and started, you know, I did what people do when you have a panic attack about money at three in the morning. I, I started Googling how can I make some extra money? And man, it's funny when you Google anything real estate related, like the first 10 search results are bigger pockets articles. And so like, I just started reading about real estate. And then I ended up watching a TED talk. There was a kid, the name of the TED talk was how to design your dream life through passive income. And it was this 20 something year old kid who had like 20 something doors and he was financially free. And he was talking about being financially free because of passive income. And I was like, that was like the first time I realized that regular people owned real estate and got wealthy. Like I just thought wealthy people owned real estate. I didn't know regular people owned it and got wealthy. And so that's when I decided, well, I'll just see if I can do that. Like I'll just do that. And um, everything I did from that point forward was something that was putting me on the path of being an investor. So I started telling people I was an investor. I started going to real estate investment meetups, networking with other investors, listening to every book 
podcast, audiobook, anything that I could get my hands on real estate related, I just absorbed all the content. And then I'd say about 90 days after that, I bought my first rental. And then like, then I saw that everything I had learned was true and even more powerful than I realized. And so we decided to scale immediately and we just went crazy in the first two years. Amazing story. So tell us about that first investment, that first rental that you invested in. Was it a single family home? Was it a a condo? What was it? And uh, was there anything that surprised you about that process? Yes. (laughs) So it was a single family home. I found it because, again, I just started telling everybody that I was an investor. Again, I had bad credit. I had no money. I had $1,000 in my savings account, but I was confident that I was going to figure it out. And so because I was telling people I was an investor, a buddy of mine heard that I was buying rental property and he called me kind of like in a panic himself, like, hey, I've got, I knew the house he used to live in and I didn't know he had moved out of that house. And so he called me, he's like, hey, you know, the house I used to live in, I need, I need to sell it. I've been living over here at XYZ place and I've been letting somebody live there just to cover the mortgage. They were supposed to be getting their stuff together so they could buy it and they can't get their stuff together. And I need to sell it in the next 30 days because I have to buy this property from this church. And so can you help me out? He was like, look, this is what I need to make. So if I sell it to you for this amount, I don't care what it's worth. I just need this much money. And uh, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll buy it. And uh, I ran the numbers and it was a good deal. And then I just told him I'd buy it. I signed a contract. I didn't really know how to do that, but I found a contract and we agreed to buy it. And then I had 30 days to figure out how to come up with $19,000. I needed 20,000 total. I had one. I needed 19 in 30 days. And so because I was also networking with other investors, I had this uh, network of people that I could bounce questions off of who had been in situations similar. And so somebody gave me the idea of being able to leverage a 401k. And I was like, well, I don't want to take money out of a 401k. You got to pay all these penalties and fees. And they were like, no, 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 you can borrow against it. And when you borrow against your 401k, you don't pay any penalties and fees. You just have to make monthly payments back with interest, but it's your money. So you get to you get the interest and the and the company that you have the 401k with they take the payments automatically out of your paycheck and it's pre-tax so it'll reduce your taxable income so that'll help a little bit with taxes like really like that's a thing <laughs> and so i didn't have a 401k but my wife did and she was kind enough to not even blink when i told her that that's that's what we should look into and so we did we borrowed the 19,000 from her 401k we bought the property and we raised the rents because the tenant was only paying the mortgage payment. We had to pay, we had to have them pay a little more in order to cash flow. And so we raised the rents and it was like the timing of it was all like cool. Cause it was like at the end of the month when I bought it. And so the very next month he paid rent. And so like I had gone from this panic attack in the middle of the night to 90 days later, owning an asset that was with 40,000, probably close to 40 grand in equity in it. And it was paying me every month. And I was just like, oh man, this is way more powerful than I thought it was. Like I just essentially took monopoly money and I bought a real life cash flowing asset that's paying me every month. I was like, I've got to figure out how to do this over and over again. And so at that point, I learned that you could leverage that equity. And so the bank that I used to buy the house allowed me to take out a line of credit against the equity in the home. And so then I ended up with access to like another 20 some odd thousand dollars that I could use to go buy another house. And like that, that like mental that mindset to go from like panicking about not making money to owning an asset that's paying you and then a bank saying here's access to 20,000 more dollars within 90 days like that was earth-shattering to me and so i just knew that like real estate was 
way more powerful than I thought. And I needed to not look at real estate as a vehicle for helping supplement my my retirement. And I started looking at real estate as a vehicle for replacing my income altogether. Well, you must give your wife the best anniversary gifts because not only was she the catalyst to get you out of that sort of wage earner, you know, corporate hamster wheel type mentality and decide, hey, I've got to provide for my family. I have to, you know, earn more. I have to have something um, at the end of the month, every month and not live paycheck to paycheck. So you said that she and having a family inspired you to do that. And then she also had that 401k that just made this all possible. I love that story. I think that's a phenomenal start. And it looks like you just exponentially took off and grew leaps and bounds. I mean, you're now at 65 units and I'm sure that's not where you're going to stay. Correct. 100%. I would be, we would not be here without her trust, love, and just always, always supportive. Never, ever questions me. Absolutely. She'll have different, different opinions sometimes, but it it never comes from a place of like, I don't trust you. It always comes from a place of trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And that's, I mean, marriage has really been a cheat code to financial growth. Oh, what a powerhouse couple. So Tell me a little bit about what you do now day to day. What does your work life look like? Are you 100% real estate investor or have you ventured off into other related fields? Yeah, so I've, I've kind of split off into a related field. And so what happened was as we were accumulating doors, like the cash flow was increasing and there was a point where we hit where we knew, all right, if, if we don't want to work, we don't have to. I was like, but then it would slow us down because then we have to take the money we're making in real estate and live off of it. And then we can't scale as quickly. And also uh, we moved fast. And so like there was a point where we were two years in or just under two years in, we had enough doors. If we wanted to stop working, we could have, but we didn't have a business that had been running for two years yet. And so if we wanted to keep using loans to buy properties, we weren't bankable yet on our own merit. So keeping the job, even after we were able to be able to to stop, really helped us to continue to grow and scale because I could reinvest every dollar that we made. And I was still very bankable. And um, it wasn't until about six, seven months ago when I started. So I started selling courses. I had two courses that I was that I created. And really, I, didn't, I never created them to be a business or, or create them to make money. I created them because after I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast, I just started getting lots and lots of questions from people. And I was answering questions in my DMs on Instagram and I was taking like free consultation calls. And like, I just kept answering the same questions over and over again. Everybody wanted to know how I scaled. So they want to know how are you finding all these deals and how are you financing all these deals? And so that's what I did. I created a course around each of those topics so that when somebody asked those questions or when somebody wanted to talk about those things, I could just point them to those courses. I made them very, very low ticket, like between 20 and $40 and just say, hey, run through this course. It should answer all your questions. If you have questions after that, then reach out to me and I'd be happy to talk to you because I just had to find a way to like scale back on spending so much time on the phone and talking to people. And the volume of courses that I was selling just kind of went crazy. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't just a, a thing I can use to like save my time. This is a thing that I can use to create a business around. And so that's kind of launched me into this whole digital product and coaching business. And so now I have a series of courses and a series of coaching and mentorship programs that I have that I use to help people grow and scale their real estate business. And it generates income for me. 
And so once that, that once those income streams reached what I was making in my day job, then I transitioned out of my day job. That's fantastic. And I'm a huge fan of telling people, look, one way that you can earn additional income, it's not 100% passive. Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of time invested at the upfront at the beginning, but teaching what you know is a phenomenal way to earn additional income. And it's something people can do even if they have a full-time job. Everyone can find a weekend, you know, to put together some of your knowledge into an online course and people will pay you just like they would take you out to dinner, take you out to lunch to pick your brain. People would pay you to learn what you know, um, especially if it's something that's very unique or niche or, you know, your story just aligns with where they are. And so they want you as a mentor as opposed to the other guy or gal. And um, I'm a huge proponent of this. In fact, I myself have also launched several successful online academies. My favorite technology and software to do that with is called Kajabi. There's so many out there, but my personal mm -hmm. favorite is Kajabi. I'm a Kajabi affiliate. So if anybody wants to launch online, you feel free to go to kfreetrial.com and you can get a free trial of Kajabi. But what do you use? Because there's quite a few out there. There's Teachable, there's, you can even go onto Udemy and put up a site. What do you like to use? I was originally on Gumroad. I still am on Gumroad where my courses, some of my courses are, but I am transitioning everything into ClickFunnels. Fabulous. ClickFunnels is great. There's, um, and you mentioned Gumroad, it's G-U-M-R-O-A-D, Gumroad, like a piece of chewing gum, Gumroad. That one is, is very popular and well-known as well. And I mentioned some of the others, Teachable and so forth. But yes, really, and people get really hung up on like, what software, what technology, what do I do? What should I use? And in the end, just build it, pick one and build it. You can always transfer your content over to it. You can even have your course hosted on different platforms simultaneously in parallel. So don't get hung up on which one to choose. Just choose, go film some videos, teach something. You can give it away to a few beta testers for free to get their feedback. If you want some testimonials that you can use when it's time to sell the course. Um, and also to fine tune and tweak your course, getting friends and family to take the class and give you their feedback is invaluable. Um, but get started. It's a great way to supplement whatever else you're doing and working on, just like Henry did, just like I did. 100%. I think a lot of people get to get hung up on imposter syndrome and feeling like, well, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Nobody wants to, to pay for the things that are in my head. And I tell people a couple of things around that and that it's, um, yes, they do. <laughs> and you don't know what people are willing to pay for until you put it out there. One and two, the pandemic has accelerated the digital and online learning space by, I'd say, at least five years. People that weren't comfortable paying money to learn from a stranger online, had to get real comfortable with it during the pandemic when there was no other options. And so there are way more customers out there now because more people got comfortable with the idea of online, the online education space. So if you've got a digital product, your customer base has just increased drastically. So you need to put something out there. And if you really, really, really want to test the waters, you could do a pre-sale strategy. So even before you do a course, if you have an idea for a course, you can put a pre-sale for your course out on one of these platforms and people can start to buy your course. They don't get it until the release day. So if you put something out there to test the waters to see who would really pay for this and you start getting pre-sales, well, then you know you need to go create that course. That's a fabulous strategy. And also helps cure procrastination because you can't right. procrastinate when you've had 20 people sign up for a class that starts in a week. You've got to right. get down you to it. Get and, it. Yeah. You know, 
make your PowerPoints and organize your notes and your thoughts. And most people have a lot of knowledge they don't even realize they have. I mean, truly ask yourself, how many times has someone said to you, oh, can I pick your brain or can I get your advice, you know, or hey, how did you do that? Walk me through how you did that. I want to build an accessory dwelling unit on my property. How did you do it? And so a lot of this knowledge that we've collected just in our life experience is very, very valuable to other people. And um, it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite, other than real estate. It seems like we have a lot of in common because I love real estate and I love online teaching. I think both are just phenomenal ways to diversify any portfolio. No matter what you're doing, you can always add real estate and also some sort of online commerce into your mix. And um, I don't think you can really go wrong as long as you have some mentorship and guidance, particularly in real estate, because that's where a lot of people can get burned. Uh, What would you say to folks who are like, I really, I want to follow in Henry's footsteps. I want to start buying real estate. I've got that 20,000 that I could leverage or borrow against or or work with. What should they do so they don't get burned or um, make any big mistakes that you can't recover from? Yeah, I like to tell people real estate is amazing in the sense that there is so many different avenues to get started in real estate. Whether you have money or don't have money, there's a there's a strategy for you, right? And that's cool, but also extremely overwhelming when you're brand new because how do you know where to start? So what I tell people is like you have to filter out the noise if you want to get started investing in real estate. So if you work backwards, if you work from disposition, right? So disposition is where you make the money, right? Either you're renting a place out or you're going to sell a place like you flipped it for a profit, or you're going to do like a wholesale where you're assigning a contract, you know, or you're going to do like a whole tail where you just buy a property and then sell it for more on the market. All four of those disposition strategies have one common denominator. And that common denominator is if you don't buy a good deal, you can't use any of those strategies. So if you're new, the two things you should be focusing on, the only two things you should focus on are learning what a good deal looks like in your market because every market is different. So the price points you're going to buy at are different. The rents are going to be different. The exit points are going to be different. So you need to learn in my market, what does a good deal look like in the neighborhoods or zip codes or areas that I want to buy in? And the way you do that, where you learn those things is you network, get into a local real estate, any place a local real estate investor would be, you need to be. So if that's at a real estate investment meeting, if that's in a meetup group online, if that's in a Facebook group, wherever investors in your area are networking or talking, you need to be in those rooms and then just strike up conversations. Just go ask, find, you'll know who the successful investors are in the room. They stand out, they talk about it. Go ask them, what'd your last deal look like? What'd you buy it for? What'd you sell it for? Investors love talking about real estate. I mean, you and I have already sat here and said that, like we love talking real estate. And so if you start asking them about their deals, A, they're going to, people like naturally like talking about themselves. So you're going to be building instant rapport and then you're going to be learning about their deals, right? And so you need to be, make sure you're, you're writing that information down or banking it somewhere so that you know, okay, this guy's buying property in this neighborhood. He's paying about this and he's doing this much work to it and he's renting them for this or he's selling them for this, right? And you'll start to get a feel for what a good deal looks like in your area. The only, the other thing I would tell you to focus on is once you know what a good deal looks like, then you need to figure out how you're going to find those good deals. So some people like to 
Some people live in a market where you can call a real estate agent and go on the MLS on the open market and you can pay retail for something and it cash flows. That's great. That doesn't work in a lot of markets though. And so if you can't do that, then you need to figure out, do I need to send direct mail? Do I need to do cold calling? Do I need to do door knocking? Like pick one strategy for finding deals and then start to implement it until you get a deal. That's it. Then once you get a deal under contract, everything else you'll be so motivated to figure out. You'll be able to go figure out how you're going to get the money to finance it. You'll figure out who's going to work on it and rehab it. You'll figure out what, what bank you're going to use or what private money or hard money lender you're going to use. You'll figure out who your title company will be. Like All of those things will come easier to you once you have a deal under contract. And truly, none of those other things matter until you have a deal. It doesn't matter who's going to finance your deal if you never find one, right? So I would just tell you to focus on those things and everything else you'll be so motivated to figure out. And how do you stay just sane and balanced and find time to be with Jessica and your kids and to not let work become your entire life? Because I know you're, there's a lot of demands on your time. How do you do this? It's a phenomenal question. I guess I can let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> I saw a meme the other day that said, I quit my full-time, I quit my full-time job to have a 24-hour job as an entrepreneur. And there's so much truth to that. And I, I had to learn really like that first week of leaving my day job. I think I just worked so much and I quickly realized that like I've got to create some boundaries. And that was my first like that's the realization I had that like a day job kind of gives you automatic boundaries. Right. You don't even think about it. They just tell you what time you're supposed to go to work. You know what time you're supposed to leave. Right. Like so you have these boundaries created for you and it's just like this subconscious thing that you follow. And then when you don't have that. Like I didn't realize I quickly needed to put those boundaries up. And so communication has been really, really key for my wife and I and, and us understanding, like we just had to have conversations around like, okay, I would like to have a start work time and a start end time, but sometimes you're going to go a little before or a little after, right? And just understanding like when you break those rules and being on the same page about that or, or what rules are your non-breakables, like what are your non-negotiables? And I think you just have to have that open communication and then I learned with my real estate side of the business, I kind of learned early on that I needed to put processes and systems in place to take care of things that I didn't have time to take care of because I was doing real estate at the same time I had a full-time job and I couldn't give real estate my full focus because I had a full-time job. And so it forced me to think through how to still get the tax tasks accomplished without having all of my time on them. And so I then had to take some of those thought processes and put them into place for myself once I went full-time because the the assumption is like, yeah, whatever, it's my, it's, you know, I'm full-time now, so I'll just figure it out. But if you're not strategic about like what you're going to spend your time on and what you're not going to spend your time on and creating systems and processes to take care of those things, then you'll just be working in your business all the time. So I kind of took some lessons from myself on how I built my rental property business and have implemented into my teaching and coaching business. Yeah, I'm sure it's constantly a work in progress, right? Because our priorities shift, the demands on our time shift, our years have seasons. And I don't mean just the weather. I mean, we have busy times, less busy times. It's tough to balance it all out. So I have a question for you because we've gone through a really rocky year with COVID, everything that's been going on. Very recently, uh, there's been some legislative sort of announcements on eviction moratorium laws. So these are laws that prevent landlords from evicting, or in some cases, some I know of one city that actually said right now, even if your tenant is 
caught up on rent and you, the owner, just want to move into the rental, you can't give a notice of termination. We're not allowing terminations, even for just cause or ordinary reasons, and absolutely none for non-payment of rent um, as well. What, you know, in the circles that you hang out with, with all the investors and in the real estate world, what do you think about all that that's gone down the last year and a half? I can really only speak from the experience that I have. And I am a huge proponent of if you're going to be a successful investor of real estate or a buy and hold investor, you've got to be, you've got to have a good, strong tenant selection process. And that's, that has nothing to do with social or economic climate. That's just what you need in order to be a successful investor. I buy a lot of property under market value because there was a landlord who wasn't doing a good job, right? And they got in over their heads. And so that helped me realize that I needed to not put myself in those positions in the future. And so I I have a, a good tenant selection process and I treat my tenants very well. And because I do that, I fortunately haven't had a lot of problems with people not paying. Now, I've had some tenants, of course, be impacted by the pandemic and, of course, need to make some arrangements. And those tenants had no problems talking to me about that. And we had no problems working with those tenants because I treat my tenants like like people. I treat them like I would want to be treated if I were the one renting. And I have empathy for them. And because we kind of set those expectations. We set communication expectations before people move in. It's been, I don't want to say it's been a positive experience. I'm not trying to make light of the pandemic, but we've been able to work through it. And I haven't had, I haven't had to evict anyone. I haven't even had, I haven't even gotten close to evicting anyone because of anything related to the pandemic or losing it. That's great to hear because I know it's been kind of all over the board and it varies from state to state as well. Mm-hmm. Do you do most of your investing in Arkansas? Yes, ma'am. Have you considered expanding outside of your geographic area? Or are you a proponent of uh, investing locally so that you are you know, within driving distance of your properties? Because I know a lot of people say, you know, I, I have properties that I'd have to take two flights to get to, um, and I'm comfortable with that. And they're under full management. And others are like, no, no, I want to be able to drive to my property within 45 minutes so that I know that it's there. I can keep a handle on it. I can do drive-bys once in a while and keep an eye on my investment. What's your thinking on all that? Yes, I only invest locally, but it doesn't, I'm not a proponent for investing. I'm not, I think that some people have to. There's uh, some people live in markets that it's just very, very expensive to invest where they are. And I typically find that if you, within an hour or two's drive, you can typically find somewhere that's a little less expensive to be able to to start investing. And so I, I am okay. And I know like now with technology and with turnkey rental companies, like there's so many ways to invest in places where you don't live. Like, I think it's absolutely a strategy that people can and should look into if the situation calls for it. I just happen to live in a very, very unique amazing real estate market. And so I just don't have a reason to look into those things because my market is phenomenal. If it wasn't, I would absolutely look into those things. Well, there's a lot of people in places like California, New York, um, some other just really uh, where the fundamentals and the the rent rates versus the purchase prices just don't work. And so for a lot of real estate investors, it's not really a choice. It's you have to go where the deals are, but you're right. I mean, Arkansas, great market. And it makes sense that you would just stick close to home for your own investment strategy. I think that makes 
absolute sense. And so how do people reach out to you, Henry, if they want to know more, learn more, connect with you? What is the best place for them to go so that they can make that connection? Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram. And you can go to my website, www.henrywashington.com, and you can get a free copy of my book where I'm teaching people how I'm financing financing my deals with a... So I essentially use bank money to finance all my deals. So I'm very little to low money out of my own pocket to kind of help grow my portfolio. And you can get a copy of that for free at henrywashington.com. Thank you. So everyone go to henrywashington.com or connect with him on Instagram so you can learn more and follow his career and get more mentorship and advice through those channels. Henry, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you about one of my favorite topics today and hope to have you back on the show someday soon. I would love to. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.